You want to make sure that the set that the system and mechanics are doing more work for you to really make the setting shine, right? If this if the mechanics are doing all the right stuff, then the setting will kind of flow from it. Is that is that is that a true assessment of what you when you look at something, or are, are, does the setting grab you before the mechanics do? This is a first for this podcast. It's a cross promotion with another podcast. Brett Blakzinski was a guest on episode one thirteen. Sean Kelly did a video with me on the Forbidden Lands RPG. Together, they create one of my favorite podcasts, Gaming NBS. Each episode discusses a subject around the role-playing hobby and gives actionable advice to make you a better player and GM. The two of them are informed, funny, and just great people. So please enjoy this episode from their archive and subscribe to Gaming NBS on your favorite podcatcher. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy their discussion of setting versus system when picking a game. Enjoy. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. You know, we had a week off there, so I appreciate everybody sticking out, hanging with us. And old school, thank you for that intro. That is awesome, man. That is cool stuff. <laughs> old school has been with us a very long time as far as backer, supporter, um, back in the G Plus days, regular commenter, <clears throat> periodic, um, you know, within random encounter space and stuff. And uh, yeah, you want paper craft master? <laughs> He's got he knows his stuff. So awesome to hear from you. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool. If you are interested in introducing a, a, an episode of the show for the year and into next year, you'll uh, want to go to gamingmbs.com forward slash intro sign up. And then you just put your forum handle, Twitter handle, whatever, and a link to where we can download it and try to be. 30 seconds can get a little long, but, you know, if you're creative, yeah, we might let that time slide. So thanks, Randy, for recording. That's, and doing it at the last minute. I don't think he knew we shifted episodes. And so he's like, damn, how long do I have? I'm like, yeah, you got an hour and a half. So he <laughs> That's a pretty good it. turnaround. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very nice. So let's see. Announcement-wise, we got BS or Con. So, again, gamingbs.com. Go out there. You can find it. Um, and Sean is the master of ceremonies around that stuff. So I got to get my events out there as well. Um, plan to get that done this week, actually. What you got? So Discord has a, a feature called Stages now, which allows you to be the presenter and talk, and people can come and go. 
without any disruption. There's no dings or dongs when people enter the room or oh, leave the room. Oh, that's that's a good feature. Well, because the audio channels, somebody enters and goes bling. Oh, and know? I'm saying yeah. turning that off. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you can kind of come and go and not. And you can choose to have a person join the conversation. So they raise their hand and you go, okay. And you a lot, and then you say, yes, you prove. And then they can come and start talking. Uh, and you could have more than one at a time. So the reason I bring that up is because it would probably work very well for seminars. Absolutely. I was just thinking the exact same thing. If yeah. you want to have up there field questions from here, from here, from here. Yeah. I like that. So That's pretty wicked. Yeah, that we'll, we'll have some of those staging rooms um, set up for BSRCon. So nice, yeah. very yeah. very cool. Man. But if you're going to run an event, let's let's. I mean, there's some people hanging, laying in the weeds. Like I'm not sure what I want to run. I'm, I've got ten different games I want to run. There's and I want to play in ten. You know, so I'm kind of I'm trying to figure that out. Let's get them in there. Like let's let's, let's show everybody that this thing's gonna be okay. Like there's gonna be p- plenty of events, and we're gonna all look yep. at them and put them in our wish list carts. And when we go to get the events, we scoop them up. Alex can tell you this from uh, GameOcon back in its infancy, and I can tell you firsthand from Evercon um, leadership experiences that one of the things that'll happen is people from a convention like, well, it sounds interesting. Let's see what games are out there first before I want to get in or before I want to do how many events are there, what kind of events and so forth. So it's a, it's a big deal from an organization perspective from like, from like any kind of con online or otherwise is to get your stuff in. So people understand, Hey, there's 60 events, there's 20, there's 110 or whatever there is. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Very cool, man. So dude, it's been like a week since we talked. So I was up Trying to slay, uh, slay some deer. Didn't happen. Spent time with the folks. Had a good time, though. It was a lot of fun. Was not working, which is the one of the best parts of vacation for a week. So did you get to game at all while I was asked? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, did you do I, any gaming while I, I was out? I did game. I think I played Forbidden Lands and um, Cyberpunk Red since okay. the last time we recorded. Very good. Yes. The Forbidden Lands guys uh, snuck up in on a bandit group, group of bandits, and uh, that was it. They uh, Nobody died? They, they, no. Well, you know, Forbidden Lands is an interesting beast because it's it. you really do only want to have the party roll if it's really significant. And if so, it's not a move 10 feet check. Move ten well, feet. No, check. no, what I'm saying is you have a reputation right now. You know I, what that is, right? You you're the guy that TPK'd your first Forbidden Lands group. So. I did, true. Yeah, I know. So yeah. I wanted I'm I'm trying to see if you've mended your ways or if you're still this slavering murderer in the background waiting for them to let I am not. Down. So I'm uh, these okay. guys All right, that's good. That's they good. made a check, they snuck in. All the bandits were sleeping and they, they KO'd all of them in their sleep. Very nice. So that was classic, it. classic move. They have a lot of stuff, and they rescued a dwarf. <clears throat> uh, so we'll see. Now Very there's cool. talks of like, do they stash their stuff? Do they take their stuff back to the trading post? So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll, whatever happens. And then uh, Cyberpunk Red. Uh, yeah, we got. I got a contract deal for the band, so the band's gonna sign a contract and uh, to first uh, one album, one year contract. Uh, Worth some big bucks, so 
That's that. Nice. And then, of course, other things that are happening, like the, the last uh, the uh, the session I missed. Apparently, there was a big shootout <laughs> at a place, and I we start the last session with me going there and finding out that to get them to what sign happened? their stuff and to go there and find out that they've been in a shootout. shooting. Yeah. You know, I should I should correct myself. After we recorded last, I did run Greyhawk the day after because I run that on Tuesdays. So after we recorded last <clears throat> two weeks ago, I did run, and they they're well on their way through the uh, Tomb of Horrors at this point. Right. Um, they have two uh, two characters have been um, stripped naked, lost all their gear, and their bodies dumped back at the beginning of the tomb. Harsh. They. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost died in a uh, boiling pit of lava. They almost died there. Um, they found the false uh, spoilers. Um, found the false crypt. Figured that out pretty quick. They weren't. A number of them have played this or read it, but it's been ages ago. So they're all that n- nobody has fresh memory of what this was like. But they're doing a really good job. <clears throat> they're doing a very good job. Stay alive, avoided a bunch of stuff, but they're uh, they're right outside a room that's might murder a few of them. So we'll see what happens. The best part, and I don't think any of them listened to this, so I'm going to say it anyway. On session one, I delivered to them a finger of a dead sorcerer. They were led to believe at the beginning by this cultist that it was a finger of Nerul the Reaper. Like, oh my God, it's a finger of a god. It's an artifact. And so they they were like, "What is this? What is this?" Then they thought, "Oh no, it has some more. It's a that's part of the hand of Vecna. Fuck the hand of Vecna." So they had all these thoughts and theories. Then they found a second finger. Oh my gosh, what is this? But both of those fingers are Aserax fingers from his Demilich form. And in order to get to this the main place, Aserax's final place, you need a bone or a piece of his body to pass through the portal. So they had two. They wasted one of them, wasted, um, reincarnating the dead gnome who came back as a bugbear. And then they have one left. And they show up to the portal, and they're like, well, what is it? Oh, should we do this? Should we do that? Oh, gosh, this could be death because the portal is a sphere of annihilation. All right, what's what do we do? Well, and they read the clue that they have. Should we go? Should we try to go through with this thing? No, 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 no. We need the amulet. We need this amulet piece. We got to do this other thing. They were right on the cusp of shortcutting the entire adventure and getting like right to it, like right through it and bypassing it. But no, instead, they're going to go through the entire Tomb of Horrors, get to the get to the Demilich area, get this other piece of the amulet, put it together, and read the fact that they could have gone through two sessions ago. <laughs> It's going to be a glorious moment of head slapping. And why, oh, why didn't we listen to ourselves? I think Brett should stop just for a second as soon as something's going to happen. You go, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, go ahead, everybody. Uh, So (laughs) this is what happens. Let's get some video here for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is that. That's when they shot me. <laughs> Pull out I your phone. The, I, might, I might need the evidence just so when I when the police show up at the crime scene, someone will know what the hell happened to my body. But yeah, it'll be interesting. So there, uh, we'll pick it back up at the tomb tomorrow. So we'll see how far they get. All in that, man. Got anything else? Announcement wise, we good? No. You gonna be all right? You look like I you're going to be tired. Right. I will all be right. all right. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I'll let y'all. Well, let's change things up. I'll have you read the first one. Can we go to Random Encounter? Yeah, Random Encounter. Random Encounter segment of the show where we field voicemails, emails, and comments from social media. First one this week, Gabe comments on episode 366, handling multiple expectations at the table. This topic has some nuance to me, and I may be considering it in a slightly different way. I'm in an Against the Dark Master campaign. Earlier in the game, playing to my character's passions, I attacked a dragon, while the rest of the PCs naturally were choosing to flee. My character's act caused the other characters promptly to choose, instead of fleeing, to rescue my character from certain death. What I had intended as a Boromir's death or a fly-you-fools, in my view, instead altered the intended choices of the other players. I wonder if they could have chosen any other course. If they had left my character to die, I would Would that have been a betrayal of their character's own heroic passions? In any event, I know they had intended to flee, but instead they suffered a fair amount of difficulty and complication to condescend, condescend to my diva character. This is very much in mind for me now because last session, this previously uh, precisely happened again with the same dragon to which my character is fatefully connected. This time, a fellow PC suffered some serious injuries while saving my character and injuries in against the Dark Master are... This time, a fellow PC suffered the same in- serious injuries... Some serious injury. Oh my God, I cannot read. This time, a fellow PC suffered some serious injuries while saving my character. And injuries in against the Dark Master are nothing to sneeze at. In part, I consider this a slight difference oh my God. in play styles or expectations. I, don't total, I totally don't care if my player dies. Character death... Uh, I do think add, he means character dies because I think he would be pretty did I say concerned of character. His he wrote player. It says player. He I totally care don't care player. if my player dies. I think I think Gabe. I think you care. I think you would. Let's let's just correct that to character. Carry on. <laughs> Gabe doesn't care whether anybody dies. <laughs> he's, he's a hard heartless son of a gun. I'll tell you. Anyway, uh, he doesn't care dies. if his player care player character dies. Character death would add a dramatic note to the evolving campaign and lend me the pleasure of determining what character I devise next. But the other PCs and even players possibly seem indelibly attached to my character to the endangerment of their own, whom I sense are a bit more precious than mine. After the first incident, I vowed to simply follow the party consensus and decision-making, but when it came down to it, I just couldn't. Players vocalize that it's all good, I still feel like my own choices are unfairly affecting their own play styles. I'm wondering if I'm a bit of a problem player, not for the GM. He, of course, loves my character and my Rainmaker play ethic. But for the others? Maybe I'm revealing a separate uh, but related topic, but what happens when one play style affects or influences, possibly to a detriment, the styles of others? I like this approach, Gabe, and I think 
So whether you want to do this or not, man, I, I, I honestly think this description, everything you just ran through here, this thought, this feeling you have, I, I honestly, I'm no bullshit. I, I encourage you to talk to the other players and tell them exactly what you're telling Sean and I right now and everybody else is listening. And say, hey, you know, I honestly don't care if he dies. I don't want to influence your play. I'm just doing my character thing. If he dies, that's fine. And then somebody may say, well, my character's passion is that i can't let you do that without this ah okay so you and i have this connection i got it is are the rest of you doing it because you think it would upset me gabe the player or are you doing you know so on and so forth i in this case i think what's great here gabe is that you're like huh i wonder if i'm being a problem i wonder if this is the thing i and i i don't know if you brought this it sounds like you have brought up to them in a, in a way but um I know, Sean, I, I uh, seriously strongly encourage you, Gabe, talk to them about exactly what you've talked about here and lay it on them. Say, hey, is this cool? I mean, because of this, I don't want to be a problem player for you and I don't want to wreck something for the rest of you. I actually would think it's cool if I had a fly you fools, Boromir dies ending to this. So I think it's a, I think it's totally worth talking to them and just bringing it up. Sean, what do you think? Yes, I guess it's okay to bring it up to them. I mean, why not? <laughs> but it, it's a good point because it does affect what they do or they feel compelled. That's it's just an interesting conundrum because you're like playing your character. You have a different philosophy on, you know, the, the, the more mortality of them. And, and then the players think that they have to rescue you. Even though you're kind of like, hey, I'm good. So I can see how this can create a problem, especially if yeah. one of the players in trying to rescue you or, or getting you healed or, you know, um, resurrected, whatever, and they die or suffer, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> so so here, let, let me throw this at you, Gabe. So in, in an instance where it almost went bad. So my group is playing. We're in Undermountain, and we're cruising along. Nick's first character and my first character. He decides that his character has she's this um, sorceress, and she has a crush on my character. So I my character is oblivious, but she's just puppy dogging me everywhere I go. Blah blah blah. So it's kind of a fun little story we've got going on, so on and so forth. Well, my character overextends himself, and he dies. So he dies. And she also, she witnesses his death because she was trying to save him. And then um, <clears throat> she got through and then she died as well. All It was this very dramatic, I want to save him. I can't. Oh, my gosh. It was we got separated from this party and we got killed. Zave decides, well, I can save so-and-so, right? And I'm like, no, you can't. I am so far gone. You can't heal. And, and we're like, well, Nick is technically blah, blah. And Nick looked at him and said, if you save me, I'm going to fucking slap you. <laughs> and Dave's like, what? He goes, I want, she's dead. This is her. I said, if you bring her back, she's going to cut her own throat. She's going to totally Romeo and Juliet this because this is her character. And this is this cool. This is how we see this unrequited love death type of thing. And he's like, okay, I am sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, I thought you wanted to keep playing the character. My bad. Nick's like, no, do not fucking do that. And he literally said, if you do that, I will fucking slap you. Well, that's okay, the difference. We've known each other for a long time, yeah. right? So, but it could have gotten bad. Where Zave could have said, well, I'm sorry. My character's compelled to save you. I, I don't have a choice. Slap me all you want, Nick. I'm going to do it anyway. Right? 
and um, we've known each other a long time. So, you know, yelling at each other periodically as friends tend to do or giving each other shit, we can do that. But that, that's an example where I've experienced it myself, where we had a play thing going on between Nick's character and mine. We died like, oh, that's kind of kind of dramatic, overly campy in a way. But eh, it seemed it seems worthy. You know, we're good with this the way this all went down. And I'm absolutely shortcutting details there. But and when Dave stepped in to try to fix it, we're like, there's nothing to fix. <laughs> this is exactly what we want. This is not this is not a bug. This is a feature of our death. Let it be. And uh, then he backed off. But. And you don't want to get in that spot because you could, as you said, Sean, drive somebody to a point where they could look at you and say, God damn it, Gabe, what the fuck are you doing? How many times do I have to save you? Jesus, will you stop doing this? You're endangering my character. And then you get to have the, well, I'm just playing my character. And then there's, I think you could avoid the blow up if there's a potential blow up anyway, by having the, hey, exactly what you said to Sean and I, or not exactly, but take that tone and that feeling you've got there, man, and just lay it on your crew. Thank you, work. <laughs> hey guys, I just want to let you know I'm a I play suicidal, uh, you know, uh, kind of characters. Yeah. So, and if you uh, if you get connected to me, um, you'll probably die. Just like I'm you know. a pretty high risk guy. <laughs> I'm a high risk character. Yes, I'm a high risk <laughs> character player. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff, man. I like the I like the I, I like the approach there. I like the way you're thinking about it, and um, I think it's really smart of you to figure it out. And like, huh, I wonder if this is the thing. I think it's definitely worth bringing up again. Very cool. Thanks, man. All right. Let's see. Davey W. Rats in. Hey, guys. A quick thanks for all the shows you've continued to put out, especially the, during these last two years. A couple of sound minds having pleasant discourse about a subject I love most, gaming. Towards the end of the last episode, you mentioned how it adds pen in our games and tools to bring that into our sessions. This stemmed um, from discussions on Save or Die, I believe, and what the mechanic did or didn't add to a campaign. I recently read John Wick's Play Dirty, and the part on hidden hit points got me thinking. I also re-listened to your discussion on them from episode 175 to dig a little deeper. Wondering if my players would go for it, I asked them. They surprised me with a strong yes. One of them thought that could be missing piece in D&D for them, as they don't feel the same threat when I run Warhammer 3rd for them. Warhammer has fatigue, stress, insanity, disease, corruption, and critical wounds. Low hit points and slow healing make for a game where the players rarely charge Gru-style into the fray. Gru, one of the best comics out there, man. Um, one of my players has finally lost a critical wound. <clears throat> he has had for a year and a half of real time, and losing his leg has nearly recently become a serious possibility. D&D, which I play and enjoy, is next to none of those things, and with short, long rest, the only time combat seems dangerous is when someone drops in the single digits for hit points. Would not knowing my current hit point make stealth and sizing up opponents and traps more of a thing? It would be extra bookkeeping for the DM, but maybe worth it? I can't help but wonder if this simple change wouldn't add some of that dread and caution back into our D&D games. That's a twist. I'm sure I've heard it before. Um, what if the players roll the damage dice against themselves, but still don't know their initial or remaining hit points? Just so it doesn't feel like the DM is rolling almost all the dice during a combat. Again, I was surprised at how excited my players got at this idea, and I'm wondering if you had considered it further. Cheers, Davey White, a.k.a. Kid Kraken. Davey, I have not. I've talked about it a little bit with my crew, and um, their concern with it was, I think, Sean, I don't remember when this 175 very well, so let's go back and re-listen to us. Their concern was that the 
the descriptors we'd end up using would become canned. And um, they hadn't played 4E. Like, are you bloodied? Are you this? Are you that? Understanding that that meant you're about a quarter down or whatever. And um, this guy, we had, this is a years ago, I had this discussion with the group, was, I don't know, <clears throat> numbers are just easier. Is it really that big a deal? So on and so forth. Now, that said, you bring this back up here, Davey, I, I think it, I think they might have, it might have some legs. Even if the descriptions did become canned, like slightly wounded, hurt real bad, bloodied, or whatever the descriptors were, even if you understood that that just meant quarter, half, three quarters, or whatever. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody because if I have a list of the, especially let's say first edition AD&D, the magic user has three hit points. One solid hit, you're bloodied. Holy shit. <laughs> he's almost dead. Yeah, because he's frail. Wow, the barbarian got hit, and she was only, like, mildly inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah, she's got a ton more hit points, or whatever the case is. So I think it does have some legs. I, I think that in order to, for me to do it, I would come up with a set descriptor terms like that, even if it was canned. Just so I was using the same thing every time because I think the uh, an inconsistency there would cause frustration. Trying to make it really cool narratively every time. Like, oh, you're hurt real bad and your elbow aches. Well, is that like half my hit points? Or, you know, well, what does that mean? You know, so I think if I had a canned description for like quarter, half, three quarters dead or dust door or something like that. Excuse me, keep hitting the mic there. My apologies. Um, I, I think that would help. Sean, have you thought about doing this at all since we talked about it? Or no, oh. I have not. Not I, no. I'll tell you though, Forbidden Lands. I mean, it doesn't. Does it have hit points like traditional? It's uh, based on your abilities. So you have your your four attributes, and so if they go down to zero in any one of them, you become broken. But when you're broken for one it's different than you're broken for another. So you become in a lot of trouble physically when your strength is okay. zero. So it's, um, you, and when you're broken, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a role to it. And now you find out what the injury is and it's, it's that's so, yeah, different, it's got a, right? Yeah. So it has numeric, um, narrative and systemic system, not systemic system yep. based impact. Okay. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And cool. then the player usually will role play it out or something <clears throat> like, no, you know, ah, my foot, it's got stuck in a trap. You guys hear me yelling. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Davey, the other thing I'll tell you, man, is if you give it a go, it sounds like your crew wants to do it. Report back, please. I'd love to hear how it's working, how you're making it work. Because if you're doing something that's that's cool, you're like, wow, this group really likes it, and we do this, that, and the other thing to make it work, let's bring that back, man, because that would be wonderful to figure out. Like, that could be fun. Yeah. Thanks, Davey. Thanks, Davey. Over to you, Sean. All right. Next one, Laramie comments on limiting PC creation options for the sake of tone. few quick notes. Brett, regarding the limit, regarding limits... I know we have some engineers here. They can call me out and tell me I'm wrong. In my experience, knowing engineers, if you give them no limits, they will struggle somewhat not knowing what to do, what they ought to do, how far things, how far to take things. 
Now, if you take that same engineer and give them bounds, a maximum resource, a budget, high end, uh, high and length limits, that engineer will shine with clever ideas of how to maximize everything in those bounds. Brett also complained about how a flow sheet can't do uh, what? Brett complained about how a flow sheet can't do everything it needs to do in a tabletop role-playing game. Isn't this essentially the same issue with video games? There is only so much you can predict and plan for, which I think we all feel is a feature of tabletop role-playing games, not a bug. Lastly, Brett, I've been meaning to mention this for a while. You've mentioned how much you don't like Stratego. Rewind a couple decades when we didn't have all the amazing gaming options we have now. A roommate and I made Stratego more interesting by each side takes their pieces and randomizes them. Don't look, keep them face down, then put them in spaces. Now, during a player's turn, they can either stand a piece up or move a standing piece per normal rules. If a face down piece is attacked, it remains standing. Your, nice. mileage may, your mileage may vary. Interesting. That would make that game more fun because otherwise it sucks for me. <laughs> Sorry. That was, that was rather dogmatic of me. Um, so I think you're dead right. When I um working with uh, IT engineering, you know, network servers and so on, uh, working with um, people who were work more with their hands and um, mechanical engineering, carpentry and so on and so forth. You're dead right. If I... Anytime I ask my crew at work, my team, hey, we need to solve this Wi-Fi problem. One of the first things my the, my my good <laughs> my engineers, my architects would tell me, say, all right, um, time, budget, and uh, basically give me boundaries. All right, you got a million five, you got this, it needs to be done by Friday. Well, fuck, or whatever, like, <laughs> whatever the answer is, right? So there's always, there's pieces and parts. And I think you're right. The, um, the crates, knowing what um, the limits are and so forth, the... Um, they could they could get very creative and make some really kick-ass stuff in that space absolutely and i think you're dead right that is the um issue slash um problem i don't know if we want to call it that or just the nature of the beast when it comes to video game rpgs you you can't answer it all it's just not possible you know the uh the npcs you encounter have a question tree or they have npcs have a stock answer right every town guard says one of 15 replies little barks i think they're called you click on him, he barks. And he says, well, it used to be an adventure, but I took an arrow to the knee. And you'll hear the same story from blah, blah, blah. That's simply because they're not going to sort out all the myriad of things you could say and come up with something or other because nobody, has a, nobody, to your earlier question, has the AI budget <laughs> for that. So, no, that makes sense, man. I like that. I think that's a good good analogy. Thank you. Thank you, Laramie. You good, Sean? We're good. All right. Lord Bob comments on limiting PC creation options. This was an interesting topic that probably most GMs have had a run with over their, in their career. Um, this morning I saw a thread on about this on Twitter. I didn't get involved because, well, Twitter. Um, <laughs> and good for you. Um, but there were a lot of GMs who were seriously, anything goes, got to make my players experience what they want. So they were cool with dropping Kung Fu Panda down in, insert whatever setting you're running. I think Brett hit on it during the show. The GM is also a player and needs to have fun. But also in many cases, the GM has spent time and energy creating a setting with a tone. So if you're going to play, 
if you're going to run gritty cyberpunk and someone insists on playing hell whatever super chicken it's kind of like they just want to be a spectacle and douche up the game and <laughs> they really don't want to play in the setting you've created i've had instances with this in my life my traditional four color comics champions game where one player insisted on murdering every villain with his coat full of daggers yeah i, I think a solid session zero can help yours opinionatedly bob oh and a slight edit to prove I'm not just a grumpy, a grump old middle-aged man, if the GM were running a game where the PCs were all enchanted stuffed animals and their leader was Winnie the Pooh the Barbarian and they showed up and said, I want to be Elric, I'd say the same thing. It works both ways. I would be out of line. I think I might actually play that game, Winnie the Pooh the Barbarian. That might be kind of... Yeah, I would play that game. I'd totally play that game. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Bob, I think that's, I think you've, I think that's smart. Um... There is now there's something to be said sometimes with the anything goes, depending. How do I do this? If you're ready for it. Right. And I think and this is just completely off the top of my head. And Sean, I want your theory on this or your feeling to my theory. What Wizards of the Coast has done with the Forgotten Realms, <clears throat> kind of making it the dumping ground for all of their stuff. And TSR did this and so on. When you have a, a world like that. When everything in 5e exists in the Forgotten Realms, everything that they create, everything that they produce, um, Goliaths. Hey, guess what? They're in they're in the realms now. Hey, um, uh, Manticore player. Guess what? They're in the realms now. It's all of that. When you, one of the reasons why I think the Forgotten Realms becomes very popular for some folks, it is it can literally be the make whatever you want out of any of the books because they all exist there canonically. Because it's the house organ for how they build it. Do you think that way, Sean, or, or do you agree? I, I'm throwing it completely off the top of my head. So, uh, so are you asking if it happens or if it's a good well, I'm thing? Asking yeah. if you, yeah, I'm asking if you not, well, you can say whether you think it's a good thing. I don't know if it's good or bad, honestly. I just, I think that is one of the reasons that it continues to be very popular, huh. even though it's flexed and changed and stuff. And it's just a, if you want to play, a tabaxi it works there are no tabaxi in to my knowledge well i know for a fact tabaxi first and second edition um greyhawk to my knowledge everything i've read they do not exist as a player character race race officially and some people are very fixated on what is official in a setting or allowed right some people have a very big <laughs> thing about that and i think where you um, do you can get into a it's easier to have an anything goes from a character gen perspective when the world everything that's officially created exists in the world you know what i mean by default if it's officially created it's in the realms yeah i if i'm a realms person i mean i guess it depends on uh the game masters take like it's gonna you're 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 right Brett. you're gonna get a game master that's like that's not in my realms man we're not playing 2021 yep. forgotten realms we're playing 3.0 forgotten realms or my or my case first or second edition realms god damn it true yeah <laughs> and there's gonna be some that say i want you guys to be able to play anything you want as long as it's in anything that's published by wizards and I'm going to set it in Forgotten Realms. I think there's a lot of times. I See, the thing is that with some, 
some games, I don't know if if species or races are scrutinized as much as we sometimes I think we just yeah you play whatever you want it's not a big deal and if you're if you're a Kenku or a Goliath or a Dragonborn or an Elf or a Dwarf they're all the same you're just different height different build I'll tell you the way uh, I used to play when I was a kid yeah. oh, it turned out much the same <laughs> very rarely none of the um, species races um, groups person. I mean what I think often t- to me sometimes it's, it can be just the um, the limits help to generate the types of character personalities. Like, hey, this is a behind enemy lines. You're a group of you know soldiers doing a job. Well, you've got a chain of command or you've got something. It just kind of helps set those all the tone stuff we talked about. And uh, there's something to be said for the game master and players who really love the anything goes game. Because if you can make that work, that's some pretty cool stuff. And sometimes it can allow for some wacky ass weirdness. <laughs> I mean, t- it can be some yeah. over the top stuff can come up. There's times I think that there's the little banter that this race species doesn't get along with that other one, and they make yeah. friendly jabs, Gimli and Legolas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And then there's times where I think everybody looks like themselves as players that are just going through a role-playing game and they happen to be an elf or a dwarf because, well, it was fun to pick something and I had to pick something and I kind of know what I want to be. I want to be kind of that guy or woman. And then, you know, if I pick them, then I get a plus two on my my bonus for this. Well, why would I be a Tardarian? I want to be a Jedi. Right. I didn't pick that because I, I want I want the maximum capability to be a force user and this right these people from this planet and this quadrant don't create force but users. But when you so, role yeah, play, it's it might as well be just anybody. Sometimes yes, <laughs> that does that does <laughs> pop up periodically. Yes, absolutely. So you know it all so depends just, on yeah, yeah, like yeah. you just pick for bonuses. Stick. Did you? Is that what yeah. you did? Thanks. Good for you. Yeah. So I don't awesome know. though. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. That was Thanks, good. Bob. We ready? Let's get main to topic. The main topic. Slide on in there. Okay, Brett, what are we talking about this week? So I got, this is not initially a two-part. I'm trying to key up something for next week a little bit. So Sean fell off the wagon a while back and started buying a shit ton of games. Kickstarters and buying stuff and just, oh my God. And then we've talked about this multiple times in the show. It's like, hey, what holy grail are you looking for in games? And what do you want? And so forth. And I think um, kind of in the spirit of being introspective, as Gabe led us off with and, and whatnot, is I was thinking about it myself. And I'm like, you know, what makes me want to grab a system or a game or a game in general, not just a system. Let's just talk about a game. Is it the setting or is it the system or is it both? Or does one have more pull than the other? And I thought about it and I'm like, you know, I believe I mentioned it in the Simba Room episode, but the art and the setting, the setting is what really sold me. <laughs> right? Why? Remember, uh, when I was, I was looking at the topic, right? And after, yeah. after our debate, oh, yes. I thought to myself, 
what in the hell is Brett going to talk about in this topic other than Simba Room? Oh, did you? Okay. I did. Funny. That's why. So when you, when you say, so Simba Room was like appealed to me no, about the setting, I just had, yeah. I had a laugh to I had myself. To laugh. And I didn't want to so, laugh just to myself, Brett. I wanted to laugh with everybody else. With everybody else. <laughs> that would join me. So. So one of the, one of the, and then I thought I'm like okay that makes sense you know then I also done, then dug into the set the system and said okay it's all player facing oh this could be kind of cool yeah this will work I think this will be fun and then I looked at um, I see Alex Cameron is playing a lot of Alien yeah he's right? got a, he he's a free league guy now I think yeah he like he likes a lot of free league stuff and I know you've got Alien and I've, I've seen other people and there is nothing about that setting that drives me to want to pick up that game in any way. Sure. And I'm like, huh, nah, just not for me. And people, I've seen people say, yes, but it has these great mechanics and so forth. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't want the setting. Now, I think some of this stems from what we'll talk about next week is the, the amount of work you want something to do or willing to have it do. But I, I believe more and more I'm looking at stuff from a setting perspective more than I am rules when I look at a new game. What draws me to to something is like, ooh, <clears throat> this is about, you know, Norse mythology. Ooh, this is about this other thing or whatever the case is. The thing that interested me most about Forbidden Lands when you were laying it out for me when we first talked was like, that setting sounds awesome. It sounds like the setting, the, uh, the, the mythology around it, all the cool stuff. I'm like, wow, that, that lends itself for some really kick-ass play. That sounds great. How do you, what are the, what are the mechanics like? Then you start going through it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, cause as you know, I kind of don't give two shits about mechanics a lot of times, which I tend <laughs> not to. I want a good, I want a good core mechanic that does its thing and so on. But I think, Sean, I, I think after it feels to me like you, on the other hand, are drawn towards system slash mechanics over the setting because I think this is just, and this is where I want to just ask you this here and see where the conversation goes. <clears throat> but I think you like that because you don't want the, um, you want to make sure that the set, that the system and mechanics are doing more work for you to really make the setting shine, right? If this, if the mechanics are doing all the right stuff, then the setting what kind of flow from it is that is that is that a true assessment of what you when you look at something or are, are, does the setting grab you before the mechanics do oh god you know oh geez that is that is hard for me to pin down because i think many things that sell me on a game well i, I think it's fair to say this i don't think this is a stretch i think what sells me on a game is more of the feel and the setting, right? Because the let's feel and what explain feel feel. Well, what, what do you mean? Uh, trade dress, right? Pick the trade dress. Okay, right? you want trade the dress, good. the imagery, okay. the setting. I guess this most most the, of the, it. The reason I brought that up just to throw it at you is because some people say the way the game feels, and what I found when I pressed that question, they mean how it plays. Yes, that's in fair. The set in the system stuff. So anyway, sure. carry on. So you. So what is it presented you, well, professional, good art, so forth. Okay. Yeah, it's it's what is my character going to be doing in this game, and I say it's mostly because it's these these details 
because uh, the mechanics, well, first of all, I don't go through and go, all right, how's this initiative work before I even buy this game, right? Maybe it's talked about online, like through some of our intelligent uh, community members on our Discord. Absolutely. But usually the mechanics, and even if I do know a little bit about the mechanics, like, you know, somebody from the Discord says, oh, you know, this is a good one because you're rolling a die six and then you're just increasing it. And then, oh, and this is roll under, that's roll over. Which is all great, but having said that, a lot of it, a lot of those things, for me, probably don't hit home until it gets to the table. So it's kind of a a progression where it's like, oh, I go into a bookstore, I judge the book by its cover and pick it up and look at it. Oh, and then, you know, I read the back of it. Oh, that sounds pretty neat. Oh, and I think I might have heard one or two other people mention that it was kind of neat. And then I buy it, and then I find out, oh, it does this. Ah, okay. (laughs) You know, great. Yeah, there's (laughs) – it's it's wicked wicked hard, right? Because kill myself. Yeah, oh, great. It's reverse numbers by fours, except with – like, oh, why? Why right. are we here with percentile dice too? Yeah, no, I get it. But at the same time, at the same time, there, uh, you know, Forbidden Lands is a unique one, and I know I bring this up quite a bit. But Forbidden Lands is a little unique because the I could run that on on um, shoot uh, the Black Island, the what the, the Black oh, of Hot Springs about- Island. Hot Springs Island. Yeah. Uh, I beat you guys yeah, you to it. Yeah. Um, but I could run it on that island, and I would be just as happy because the method of going through that island is a hex crawl, and that's kind of what this game is set up to do. So even though the Ravenlands, the default setting for Forbidden Lands, is cool and it's got some cool history, I could see as long as I'm trying to run a fantasy game to a hex crawl, exploration is key to that not hey you're in new york and you're going to la and when you're in la you got to look up this npc and then you got to go into the dungeon of the the big bad Hmm. it's got to be how do you get from new york to la and all the things that you run into on the way that that's the kind of game i would have to run with forbidden lands for the mechanics to to kind of yeah so is it so from my perspective when i hear somebody says oh i really like this new game and um, I'm like, ooh, really? So, w- w- what's it about? So, when I ask that question, like, what's it about? I want to know about kind of like trade dress type of thing. What's the setting like? <clears throat> what is your care? What do your characters do? Like, ooh, it's a game. Like, I remember a friend of mine. I was explaining Vampire when Vampire: The Masquerade first came out. He goes, "So you just bite people? That sounds stupid." I'm like, okay, <laughs> hmm, doing a bad job describing this. Let me explain to you. And I would run it. I ran through it. Ooh, wow, that does sound interesting. And what's what I find now is now I, I think people are becoming more savvy with the fact that rules influence play or help, you know, that they influence, they help guide it and so forth. And we, we know this. I think we're getting more and more savvy with it insofar as now when I explain to you what this really cool game is, and like the setting and so forth, you go, wow. So how does it play? And it could be a son of a gun, right? You can go online and you can um, watch an actual play. You can do this and that and so forth. I still think some of the best way to get it is from people you know and trust. Honestly, if I 
if I um, here I asked about the Simba Room game in one of our I think I asked about it on our forums or somewhere, but I got talking to Harrigan and a few other people and they hit me stuff because I trust the BSers to give me a no bullshit answer. <laughs> right. So sometimes when I watch like the actual play and stuff and how the system works, or I talk to that's why when we had um, Jen Brinkman on for Dungeon Crow Classics. She does did not work for them at the time, right? It was not like a real honest. She was an acolyte, right? As she calls herself, right? The DCC acolyte. I love this game, and here's why. Oh, it does this. It does this. Be a Tim Machine to talk about astonishing swordsmen, sorcerers, Vibraporia. Same thing. There's power in that, and um, I trust their opinions. If Tim Deshane tells me, "Hey, Brett, this game plays a lot like this. I think you'd like it," or if you like this, you really like this other thing too. Ding. Shane told me that. I trust that dude. His opinion on this stuff is solid. I'm there. One of the reasons I was interested in DCC. Oh, come on. <laughs> this ain't smart. Don't give me a crap. But you got me thinking about DCC. Like, huh? Because you had bought it and talked about it. I'm like, okay, cool. I buy it, read it, and so on. And I think, um, I still think, though, that if the, the setting, and even DCC doesn't have an actual setting with it, right? It's much more of a toolboxy type of game. It doesn't have a, a set setting, but the aspects of it like and how it works, well, it does now. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have a default setting. It does not have a default setting. No. Um, but how much? Where am I going with this? So there was enough about how, um, what type of stuff you did, and so forth. But what made that game really cool was the mechanic stuff you told me about and the mechanic stuff that Jen Brinkman educated me on. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. That's interesting. So I think um, what stops me from thinking setting is someone says, well, there's really no default setting. I'm like, okay, so it's just another version of D&D, right? So that, that runs through my head. And then it's on somebody somewhere, the game company, somebody else to sell me on why it's better slash different enough that it had that it, that it deserves to be on my shelf type of thing. But there was a saying a number of years ago that I think it was John Wick had said it, you know, this is ages back. So I don't even know if this is true anymore, but I, yeah, it was John Wick. And he had said, people buy a lot of games for the settings and they don't give two shits about your rules. Right. They're like, oh. look, I bought this setting. I'll play with whatever. Yeah. It's a really good game. I like this adventure. I run that adventure with uh, world of darkness. New World of Darkness rules. I just like that game system better, so I use that for this. Oh yeah, I I bought that, but I don't use Ravenlands. I use you know Hot Springs instead, or I bought Hot Springs and I do with this thing, or I bought Kalamata, but I don't use DCC or this other thing. I use Forbidden Lands rules for it. So I cannot meet more more wrong people. I cannot meet more <laughs> wrong people. <laughs> How many wrong people are Jeez. out there? When are we going to so, get this RPG shit straight? Come on. What the hell? Exactly. We're going to realize how right we are and how wrong everybody else God. is. I'm just going to write a book that says you're doing it wrong. Wrong. The, the RPG guide to playing all RPGs. You open up page one, you, page two, R, page three, doing, page three, it. I'm going to start it. wrong. I bet you if I put it out there, there's going to be people that don't realize it's satirical. They'll just like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. There's a lot of people with no sense of humor. Um. Yeah. So in this day and age when we can get all this great information and so on, are you still, though, so trade dress and so forth? So it sounds to me like you're actually um, 
My assessment of you is incorrect, though. The setting, the activities, the types of things you would do, you're more interested in that, at least grabbing you initially, and then finding out that how I do those things with my dice, chits, cards, or whatever the case is, is the, the secondary piece to you? Or do you get hooked on a on a system and then want to play similar stuff, you know? Brett, that's why I got so many damn games. Yeah. I buy them because they look cool. They sound cool. I'm going to be doing cool stuff. And then I read them and I go, ugh. Or I'm never going to get that to the table. Uh, or well, I did. A lot of, uh, and then it's like, ugh. Well, you got a lot of free league games now. And they all, apart from Simbrum, all use the same mechanics, don't they? They they are very similar, but they're not all the same. They they're they're base. Well, I mean, to some degree, Twilight Two Thousand is kind of interesting because it uses die types instead of like a full D six system. So is it this is is the system the thing that's gonna? I mean, so let's let's take Twilight Two Thousand. Yeah, the concept of it was attractive to me. I almost backed it. I know you did. Ooh, you got yours. Ooh, very nice. I just have one of my um, players manually here. Yeah. Were you when you read when you went read through the Kickstarter and stuff? Were you like that setting, that game, got to have it? I don't fucking care what the rules are. I'll figure that out. Uh, kind of, sort of. Only reason I say kind of, sort of, is because I know Free League and I know the stuff they've put out. And I have Tales from the Loop. I have Alien. I have mm-hmm. Forbidden Lands. And mind you, I've only gotten Forbidden Lands to the table, like in any capacity. Yes. Right, Fair like enough. I haven't played Alien, I haven't run Alien, I haven't played or run Tales from the Loop, I haven't played or run Simbaroom, or played or run Coriolis, and I know, and I own all of them. So with Twilight Two Thousand, I know the the basics and the gist, and I know the production quality of their product, so I can go off of those things and go, eh, it's probably a good judgment, and it's it's the type of game I want to play now. Before it came out, I mean, now reading it, I'm like, holy cow. You know, I've been told it was crunchy, but it's an interesting crunch, but it is different. And so it's like, I mean, if you're a war gamer, like this thing is something close enough to where you'll appreciate what it does. Because it's talking about like moving through hexes, like your little chit. Does that throw you off though when you read that? Does that go, oh... You don't. It, I mean, I don't know. I, I I could play it and go, oh, you know, I could read it and go, ah, oh, it seems a little crunchy, but it'll be fine. And then get to the table and go, whoa, this is like slow down. Everything comes to a crawl. We're playing squad leader. Yeah, and then it's like, how many sessions do you put in before you figure out if that's true or not? Right? Is there a level of, oh, we can master this? It'll take three sessions and we're in. Right. Or you're like, wow, we're two months in on this game and we haven't moved out of Hex 2 because <laughs> we still get figured out. I I think the um, it's interesting because I honestly I honestly thought, Sean, that you were more attracted to systems than you were to settings. Well, it turns out th- that's not true. I don't think that's an unfair statement. I think that there's times when I do look at a, a system and go, oh, you know, like Safer System or... You know, I've got Cortex Prime. That's all about system. You know, not all about it. True. A majority of it. And so it's our argument. I think there's a little, uh, I think you're interpreting some of the arguing of me saying, hey, RPGs from the 80s till now has a method of 
putting things into it that facilitate play or experience or immersion mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Yeah. Having said that, it doesn't mean that I lean on that a lot. Like I don't – yes, I would prefer to buy, I don't know, a cyberpunk game if I'm going to be a hacker and there's a mechanic that's, hey, this is the hacking mechanic. And I go, oh, this, this is cool. I play dice and cards and I write this down and then I roll roll the dice and then I gather them up and then I there's a chit that goes over there. This feels like I'm really hacking. Like in the, you know, if it's yeah, those, yeah. right, that's the argument I was making. Yes, great. But I don't know a ton of those games. Like we mentioned Dread having the Jenga Tower. Yeah, that's fantastic. But I don't want to, but I don't want to like play Dread just because of it's it's got a cool Jenga tower. Okay. And I think some of those games, like when we talk about style of play and things of that nature, mm-hmm. like, well, do you like one shots or campaigns or do you like speaking to character or not or third person or first person? When you put all of them in the big salad bowl, there's some of those games that, you know, Dread's neat, but it's not on my shelf. Yeah, so I guess we're – this is good. Thank you. Um, that actually clarifies a few things for me. The other, for I, I me, just stating a kind of a thing of the industry. No, no, no. It, yeah. it, no, it's cool. It just got – like I said, it just got me thinking like what – I think this is the reason Sean likes this stuff is this why. But what you're saying here is actually is eye-opening to me in a way. So that's kind of cool. I'm learning about you, Sean. It took six years, but I'm, I'm cracking this nut. I'm getting on the inside. I soft your damn part. toes, Brett. Damn it. I know you do. You do. So I have found that if I really like the setting, and it's pretty cool. So I'll just say this flat out. When I first started playing Call of Cthulhu, I thought the system sucked ass. I did not like the huge-ass list of um, skills. I wasn't keen on the percentiles. I'm like, how come? Blah, I don't like this. It when, did you, when did you start I, playing that game, Brett? Um, mid-90s. Okay, so you early, started early, that. Early 90s, early 90s. You started that, and you came from what, second edition? Um, first edition, and then Redbox, Beckme, uh, Beckme, and BX, and um, Star for Tears, and that shit. Right, things but that Merp. did have like no skill systems. Well, Merp had a ton, but it was different the way sure. they ran them. And I did play. Let's see here. What else did I have? Gerps? I played Gerps before that, which has well, so you good stuff. It's like, it, the, like I said, for yeah. whatever reason, though. I'm just saying, I wasn't keen on it. I didn't like it, and but. I liked everything else, the setting, the feel, the tone, everything that was supposed to be going on. I'm like, you know what? I can figure out these dice things, or I don't like the fact that I got to remember it's five multiplied by my power equals my blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, it felt awkward to me. I didn't like it. But the setting and the cool things that what my characters were supposed to do, what they were supposed to encounter and defeat and deal with and the challenges, the exploration that drew me to it and there was enough there that i'm like i like this so much that i'm gonna i won't let this other stuff that's annoying me stop me from enjoying the rest of this game right sure where and i think that's where when i um the reason i say like the setting and the activities the things the uh the primary actions or whatever is you want to say that the, the characters are supposed to do the types of adventures the types of encounters if that stuff's intriguing to me like wow there's some really cool stories my group and I can tell together. We could build some really kick-ass memories and have a really good time with this game because the types of stuff that are possible within Simba Room, Twilight 2000, Call of Cthulhu, what have you. Like, wow, this is kind of – this setting and this whole theme and tone is right up our alley. 
going, okay, cool. I hope the system helps. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hope I don't have to, I hope I don't have to do a lot of extra work, but I have found that I can sit down when I, um, when Tom Flanagan ran, um, fate accelerated for me and, um, and Kevin and Chris and, um, and Andy, and we played Dresden. God, can I, I, is that is that record? That's a recorded and out there. It's isn't recorded it? somewhere. Yeah, I, don't I gotta know if it's get out that. there. Out there, but it's out there. Brett playing fate, man. That is that. Is, I wish I was at the table for that one. Tom and I talked about it. I'm like, I don't. I, I did not like it. No shocker. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, but I like the setting. I like the game. I like what we were doing. I was having fun with it. I was frustrated I couldn't like just flat out kill people. Um, it has to stretch them to death. I'm like that seems dumb. There were things that there were things that I didn't completely, <laughs> completely enjoy mechanic wise. However, it's not like I'm toughing it out or sucking it up. But the rest of it is so enjoyable. Though I'm like whatever. So there's a piece of the there's a piece of the system I don't like. Some of it was the people I'm playing with. They were great gamers. I was having such fun with them. I I'm like yeah. I'll put up with the fact that this doesn't. I don't necessarily like this piece too much. Moving on, you know. Yeah, no, I think world. you're that kind of guy. I get that. Like you're not you're not rude and crude about it, but I just laugh at no, it but, because uh, yeah, yeah, because because I, I I can't just it's look. I played Fate Accelerated once. I've never played Fate. I've never played Spirit of the Century, and to me, I get like what aspects, huh? Yeah, invoke. And and you know what I fudge dice, eh, yeah, it's going to noble knight. Like you know, somebody yeah. can say, "Oh, dude, you gotta you gotta play, you gotta play. I gotta get you into fake game." Blah. And I, I'd be fine, but you know, my traits, I'm still st- I hey, look. I could be still stuck in in the old school. Hey, you got abilities, you got skills, you roll. No. There's target numbers, and yeah. not get into. The other stuff. Daring in danger, Sean. Like, daring in danger. That's on my sheet. So I get bonus because I'm daring and dangerous. Whatever. Yeah. So for Brett to sit at the table and to play that game, I just would. <laughs> That'd be funny. Well, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't. I might right. like it, though. So I might play no, and, it and think and it's the greatest game like, since you know sliced what? bread. I don't know. The um the game we played with um the third floor wars crew right we, and, and we sat down and we said all right look blades, I, yeah. I ran I ran I, blades in the dark and I even ran when I ran five e with you I knew you weren't like a huge you're kind of like yeah I could take or leave five e but I'm like it's gonna be a good game you're the setting is cool you know enough about the setting and we got a great crew to play with yes but I and don't that, have and, a hang up on on five no 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 no, no. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm not saying you have a hang up I'm saying it's yeah. like eh it isn't your system of choice. And like with the, so I'm saying, I'm using that example plus my example with the Blades in the Dark is I'm like, that's a good crew of people to play this game with. Yes. They're solid people. I'm going to have a good time. We're all going to get in the mood. We're going to have a good time and we're going to figure this out. I know if I bring certain games to my gaming table with my crew is that we can sit down, try it out, and we're going to do our damnedest to have fun with it. And we might say, meh, this isn't working. Nick was running uh, Conan 2D20. I thought he was doing a pretty good job. He was trying pretty hard, and he was having a good time with it. But he was struggling a little bit, and we got done. And he's, he wrapped up the campaign. He said, I don't know. Let's do. I want to go back to Star Wars. I'm just Something's not right, blah, blah, blah. And he and I have talked about it. And Nick said, I think it would be better, Brett, if you ran it. And I'm like, well, I mean, 
why? And he goes, well, you actually know the world a hell of a lot better than I do. And he said, I think that it would feel like Conan if you ran it versus me. Right. And I said, huh, interesting. We love the setting. We actually didn't mind the mechanics. It was like kind of how it worked. But we were able to have that back and forth. And uh, <clears throat> which is great. If you've got a gaming group, you can do that stuff with. It's great. But I, I, where I'm going here, whew, long way around, multi-tangent rabbit holes. But <clears throat> if the setting is really cool, I myself and a lot of I myself, like there's anybody else besides myself and I. Um, but it sounds like you, Sean, me and a few other people I know, at least, are going to look at it and say, well, you know what? Let's as long as the system doesn't like physically cause pain, <laughs> right? Or it is so X, Y, or Z that we can't stand this. Some systems cause people pain. Some systems do cause people <laughs> physical pain. If I put a Thaco chart in front of Sean, he just he starts twitching. I would his feel eyes pain. get his, his eyes get weird, and yeah, it's not good. But um, I, I think the. I think a really good setting and a really good like core activity and so forth can not hide issues you may have with the system, but they can make certain things in the system more bearable. Like if you're like, well, I don't necessarily like the chase rules here, but you know what? <clears throat> the rest of it's so much fun. Right. Oh, that's right? totally we, fair. We have, we have such a really good time. And I think that is one of the reasons why. I want to know if the setting and where where this game is supposed to take place is really, really cool. If it is a generic system, Savage Worlds, for instance, then I'm like, okay, there's no set setting, huh? There's a myriad of settings. Great. Bully for me. Now, I want to know how that system works. Because if I'm going to use this generic system, GURPS, whatever it is, and I don't know, not a lot of people play GURPS anymore, I don't think. Maybe they still do. Anyhow, point is, I want to take Savage Worlds and go from place to place, or Fate and go from place to place with it. I really want to know how it works. And then I'm going to want to digest it and tear it apart and, you know, think about it and, and play test it and, and so forth before I really commit to it. But I find myself much more willing to commit to a game that has a an official setting that comes with it, like a Simba Room, and all the other shit that goes with it, like activities and classes and species and stuff. Oh, this looks sexy. This looks really cool. Awesome. Huh. Hope the system's good. <laughs> right? And that's when I ask a guy like Harrigan, hey, man, have you, you said something like this. Do you know anything about this, dude? Help, help me out here, man. But I think a really good, um, that anyway, short version, a really good setting and all that goes with it sells me. And I think one of the reasons it does is because then I, I feel more confident that I'm going to have fun with it, even if I don't think the system's the bee's knees, right? Even if it's not the best thing ever, I, I feel like I'm going to have more fun. Because I'm invested, right? I'm invested with the activity, you know? Yeah. Like there's like Cypher System, like Numenera. I mean, it's called Cypher System because Cyphers, grabbing Cyphers like does things in Numenera. And when I was reading the Cypher System, the just a core generic rule book system, I was like, and it would talk about Cyphers. It was almost like you were putting ciphers in a modern day world. Like this thing would be a cipher, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute, you're trying to like, and and Eileen can crucify me for this because I haven't played either one, but just that was the impression that it was brought up to me when thinking about that, and I can't remember if we had addressed that with Troy and Darcy when they were on. We did. We talked about it a bit with them. I I've had private conversations with like um, Eric Frankhouse because he was a yeah. he's played it a lot too. He's a Numenera guy. He said, "Dude, you got to think about it like blah." And I said, "Huh?" I said, right. "I think what's throwing I think what threw me off though from 
it as a system was because the setting I knew the most about the, the Numenera piece. I'm like, I'm just not interested in that. The activities, sure. the setting of Numenera, I went, eh, I could take your leave it. It just doesn't entice me. And then when I heard, oh, hey, Cypher system, you could use that to do all these other things. I'm like, I have stuff that I have fun with doing those other things with. I don't know if I want to invest, you know, blah, blah, blah. But but again, for me there, the setting, I don't know what to say, turn me off from the system might be, it's really strong language. I don't mean to be a dick about it. But GM intrusions and all that stuff. That didn't bother me. Yeah. That I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That, yeah, I kind of do that anyway. Ooh, a mechanic to make that happen. That could be kind of fun. A little back and forth action. A lot of player facing stuff. That could be pretty cool. But the Numenera setting didn't thrill me. So I just kind of backed out of Cypher in itself. Sure. They just didn't, if, um, but this, because again, I was looking for a setting that I could start with. And granted, I mean, that said, I mean, I've, if I have to build my own setting for a lot of stuff, I'm like, I already do that for this, this, and this game system on my shelf. Do I want another one type of thing? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I just, okay. I didn't, I didn't get the crossover from Cyphers and Numenera, which is what it was built on, to moving it to a modern game. And now you're like, well, Cyphers aren't the same in a modern game because you're not playing a billion-year-old universe where Cyphers yeah. are something kind of magical, scientific, you know, yep. you know, stuff that's set to the setting, but has a mechanical value. Yep. Which is one of the rarity things, I think. That's that's not necessarily true. I guess a magic item would be the same, but like yeah, if you no, have a magic item that has a plus agreed. or whatever, right? No, I buy it. Anyway, anyway, that's all. I, that's all I really had here, man. We don't have to belabor this anymore. I was just interested because I had a I had a perception of what Sean liked and what drew you to some of the games that you're buying. I'm like, ah, he's buying a lot of free league stuff. That boy likes his free league system. That's what he's all about. He likes their stuff. And um, some of the other things you were buying, I was thinking, ooh, he really likes that. And I was just curious as to how much the setting influenced you. And it sounds like it has more influence, almost the same amount of influence on you that it does on me in that space. I really want you want that to be something kind of cool. At least that you can sink your teeth into you're excited about that stuff. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's in, you know, if you look at stuff and go, well, I've got D&D on the shelf, I got Star Wars, and then I've got, you know, uh, you know, I had primetime adventures on my shelf. Like they're, all, it's all over the freaking place, but it's for different reasons. And then I don't know if those reasons stay valid forever. You know, one thing that was brought That's up. Very, I want to next next show. Next show, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how much work you want the system to do for you. Yeah. Right. And I think that you're dead right. There is there. I think I've, we could talk about there too, but there are times I think I'm like, oh, this is the answer. Well, that was the answer then. <laughs> is it? Is it the answer now? I, I don't know. And sometimes I go backwards, and sometimes you want to go forwards or whatever. So it's it's interesting. Christian Serrano paid a visit to my live stream on Saturday, and I forgot he brought this up, and it was a very valid point. And because we were talking about my argument with you, actually, it wasn't. It was the same argument, but not the one between you and I that I was referring okay, to. Gotcha. I yeah. was just simply getting into nowadays some of the games facilitating certain mechanics that, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever. And with Christian, he's a big Savage Worlds guy. And we were t I yep. think what it stemmed from was the, the folks that get into one game and only stick with that one game and they don't play anything else. So I don't know if I was poo-pooing Christian for it or not, 
or how it was. But then he said, well, here's the deal, man. I don't want to play, I don't want to learn five different systems. Like Savage Worlds is generic. I can play cyberpunk in Savage Worlds. I can play science fiction in Savage Worlds. I can play the, I can play fantasy in, you know, I can play supers. And the advantage of that is system mastery, which yep. is- we've talked, we've talked about that many times. Yes, we yep. have. So his kind of mantra is, um, that's what he needs in order to, like, he doesn't need Shadowrun, Android, you know, Cyberpunk Red. He'll just stick with Savage Worlds. And because he has system mastery, he'll be able to take out the things that don't match up with the setting or the feel or the tone, right? Because he knows it, which, you know, for him saves him headaches, which is fine. Because I think I started getting into like, hey, man, look. You can eat McDonald's. You can eat meat and potatoes all day, but you know, every once in a while, it doesn't hurt to go and buy some sushi or something else that you know might enjoy. And he was just like, "Here," and he explained it to me, and I could understand his rationality. Although, one would argue, does Savage Worlds do insert type of game better than an actual game? So that that concept of better is the is where people will get very angry. Yes, they will and throw down. Yeah, because better is better, um, subjective. best. Yeah, yeah, it's super subjective. Right. And um, well, this does this better. Says who? How the fuck do you know? Like have Brett's you gamed it my nineteen thirty truck. Yeah, have you gamed? <laughs> what? But I, my, you know, are you gaming with my group every week? No, you do not know what is better for my group. Well, your group would like this better. The, okay, first off, I don't know you. you know, Rando online. I think that's a fair argument, Brett. There's, it's I tell, will not. Oh, totally yeah. is, totally yeah. is. No, yeah. and we were giving each other shit the other week, but I, I think there's, there's. But that wasn't what said, I was arguing, though. I know. That's I why know, I was getting I perturbed. I know, I know, sweetie. It's okay. okay. I was... <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll t- we'll pick this up next. I think we need to we need to walk away for a minute here. But anyway, so folks, I'm curious. You know. Does the setting, the system, is there something that you gravitate gravitate towards that makes you look at that new shiny, right? And this is kind of in that in that vein. Hopefully, we made this point at some phase here within our ramblings. But um, when you look at that new game, are you interested in the? Does the setting grab you, hook you, and make you uh, like you sink your teeth in and thinking, "Hey, I'll figure out the system, or I'll hack it up, or I'll do whatever," or do you want to make sure that both are equally married? Like let the, they, they do everything right, that type of thing. Is one better for you? Um, and so on. So let us know what you think. Piss with that. Let's die roll it up, man. All right, die roll. Segment of the show where we talk about uh, 2D4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you. I've got one, two, three. Four, four this week. Uh, first one starting out. I don't. Corey doesn't really have. I think an official website for this, but we brought it up almost. He hits us up every time around this time of year for the Jerry Steffick Memorial Crawl for the Cure. Uh, he's a it, Jerry was a gamer and and dear friend to folks, and passed away. And the proceeds go to ALS. So. They're going to be raising money. Uh, we'll see. December 11th, I think they're, I'll get, by this time, I'll get the link in the show notes. Um, but they're going to be streaming on December 11th some DCC games and Swords and Wizardry and, and et cetera. So 
if I'll have more to come. Probably look around this time last year and find out where all this stuff is. But there you go. Uh, the next one is a Trinity Continuum Anima Tabletop RPG Kickstarter that is fully funded. Uh, 23 days to go yet in the campaign. Uh, thanks, Akadoka, for providing us with that one. So if you like a little bit of cyberpunk and some near future stuff, yeah, check check that out. We'll have a link down below. The other thing is a more uh, news. If you haven't heard, Ridley Scott says uh, live action Blade Runner and Alien TV series being developed and the pilots are written per Variety magazine. Interesting. So this is at the same time Ridley Scott's getting grief for blaming the most recent film for apathetic millennial on on apathetic millennials. Millennials, yeah, of course. We love millennials. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. You, you can't you just don't just <laughs> blame your failures on an entire generation. Yeah, that's a good call. Who dude. knows? Moving maybe on. your film just sucks. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I don't know. It could it could, maybe. I'm sorry. You know, whatever. Yeah. I've heard that it sucks. I don't know. Eh, moving on. Anyways, uh, and both of those properties, uh, you know, RPGs from mm -hmm. Free League. Just saying. Yep. Well, yeah, they're out there. You guys better start paying me pretty soon. Damn it. Uh, and then lastly, but not leastly, I figured, you know, we talk about, oh, man, look at that. I got to log in. I didn't even log in. The last thing I wanted to bring up was our our Discord because I could put in all the stuff that people put in there for, like, promos and Kickstarters and things of that nature. Um, but I'm not going to do that. But you could go there. So if you go to GamingNBS.com forward slash Discord and then go to our promotions <laughs> channel, we've got a thread in there that's talking about all the you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday spiels are going to be going yep. on. But some of them that are listed are like Old Gods of Appalachia Kickstarter. Um, Mighty Game Music is like a Kickstarter as well. Or no, that's a bundle. Pathfinder oh, 2 yeah, discount, yep. like Amazon, Zweihander discount, Foundry. Wayne posted in there that Foundry's got like a holiday 25% yep. off Foundry. Um, so, yeah. Go and check it out if you, because then you're gonna get them like on a daily basis, and I'm not gonna post like the, the twenty that have posted been posted in the last week. So, the, awesome, man. the underlying hint is join our Discord, but nonetheless, <laughs> ooh, ooh, is that what you meant? <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, awesome, that's man. what we had this week uh, for the show. What are we talking about next week, Brat? Next week, you and I are going to talk about like how much work you want your game system to do versus me, because I think that's part of the um, the discussion you I have been having on and off the mics, uh, and I just want to kind of focus in on that piece of it. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would want Brett to do all the work or not. <sighs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm not, it's not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure. Would that mean be bad? I'm an, IT director, I'm an IT director now, dude. I don't <laughs> do work anymore. I've, I've forgotten what work is. Uh, we'll see. All right. Well, hey, stare yeah. at spreadsheets and PowerPoints and cry a lot. You gotta tune in next week uh, live on Monday nights here on YouTube, uh, gamingabs.com forward slash YouTube. Give us a like or subscribe, and you'll get notified that we're going live. Uh, thanks to everybody that's shown up in the chat this evening to see the live recording. 
Otherwise, you'll get this. You can get this audio uh, show at your podcatcher of choice. So, thanks everybody for listening as well. Otherwise, I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good game, all. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, floorheads. <laughs>